Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Uh, just going to be me today. I know uh, we haven't had a column for a while. The last friendly wagers we've had was Tuesday, and I really apologize because right now is a great time to do some friendly wagers while they're still NHL and NBA because we started this at a horrible time because once that's over, it's really only MLB and maybe some PGA. So I know that kind of stinks. It's going to be hard, but me and Colin are both in school right now. So once we get out of school, which is another week, uh, we'll have a lot more free time for him to come on the show for me to consistently post because I know sometimes I miss like a day every week and I mean, which isn't bad, but anyway, enough of me babbling in today's episode. We are going to be talking about Rob Gronkowski. There's some news about him and coming out of retirement. I know it's only been like 72, 71 days, but we're going to touch up on more Gronk news. Then we're going to do a Stanley Cup Game 4 preview tonight, a little preview for the Bruins and Blues. Then we're going to get to the NBA Finals. Uh, Game 2 last night, the Warriors prevailed as I said they would and as I said both teams would split the first two games so we're going to talk about that game then the Red Sox game last night so uh the win against the Yankees so yeah a lot to get to today uh pretty long intro but anyway first we're going to start with the Rob Gronkowski news so let's get to that all right so it was just about yesterday where Rob Gronkowski addressed the media um about possibly returning to the Patriots. This was at the One Mission buzz-off for kids at the Gillette Stadium. And he kind of addressed the media about this because obviously you've heard the fact that Tom Brady said he wants to throw more than 78 touchdown passes to Gronk, basically meaning he's hoping Gronk returns. Obviously he is. And Mike, uh, and Drew Rosenhaus, not Mike, Drew Rosenhaus, who's Gronk's agent, as I've said in the past, uh, trust me, I know his name, said... Uh, he wouldn't be shocked if um, Gronkowski returned to the field. So this rumor's been going on. We addressed it. We, we've talked about Gronk in this podcast when he retired. We talked about him, I'd say, a good, about a month ago, we just talked about him because there was more news, you know, about the end retirement, coming out of retirement around the time of the draft. So I'd say, yeah, it was over. It was about right. It was right about a month ago, and now we're talking about him again. And as I said, we're probably going to touch up on Gronk about every once a month uh, until he comes out of retirement. Just there's going to be more and more news. So we always brought up, yes, a lot of people think he will come out of retirement at some point, maybe for just a playoff run. I do believe that as well. Uh, he's only played nine years, and I feel like if the you know injuries are what's holding him back. Maybe he can heal up and go for another playoff run because I think he's gonna miss the game of football. But if you were a high believer, really hoping Gronk comes back, this may have hurt. These comments may have hurt you. Um, he said to um, <clears throat> whoa, excuse me. Uh, he said to put those uh, rumors to rest. And basically, he feels like he said, "quote unquote," I'm feeling good. I'm in a good place. So that those are that's a pretty definitive statement, if you will, um, by Rob Gronkowski, kind of saying, "Put these comments to rest. Put these rumors to rest. I'm in a good spot right now. I like retirement. Let's calm down about it." Obviously, Gronk 
believes that somewhere back in his mind there's a definite possibility he returns to the football field for the New England Patriots. He obviously feels it's a good chance, but at the same time, he feels this is a little too much. And he's saying, you know, let's put these, you know, a lot of people think, yeah, he's probably, let's calm down a little bit here. I'm enjoying retirement. I'm enjoying life out of football. I'm feeling good. My body's feeling good. I'm not getting beat up every single day. And I think Rob Gronkowski is in a good uh, spot. He lives life to the fullest every day. He lives life like a party. So obviously he's going to be feeling good. Uh, about where he is at. So these comments have to kind of bring a little oof, you know? So that's weird, but, you know, they have to bring a little oof. You know, that one was that hurts a little bit for Patriots fans that want Gronk to come back, and I think he will come back, or bet that he will come back. That has to hurt. Uh, those comments kind of just saying, let's put those rumors to rest. I'm feeling good. So let, let's calm down with that a little bit. Um I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Uh, again, we're not touching up on him for this 10-15 minute segment, but I just wanted to touch up on that because I feel like no one has talked about that. And I know, you know, what does it really mean because anything can happen and we all know Gronk's enjoying retirement and probably feeling good because his body's not getting beat up every day like it was for the past nine years, but I still feel like this has to play some uh, something, and I feel like some people maybe listening to this didn't even know about these comments because it just was not talked about, and I, as soon as I saw it, I was just like, it's going on the podcast. So I just wanted to touch up on that. A little bit of news on Rob Gronkowski. Obviously, we're going to keep track of him, and whenever there's a good, big enough news, I'd say this cut makes the cut to talk a little bit about Rob Gronkowski, so we're just going to keep uh, our eyes on him. And now we'll get to my Stanley Cup Game 4 preview between the Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. All right, so as most of you know, the Boston Bruins are up 2-1. to one. My Boston Bruins are up 2-1 to one in the Stanley Cup Finals against the St. Louis Blues. Game 4 is tonight in St. Louis. Big game for both teams, really. Uh, obviously, yeah, the big 7-2 win. We got the Craig Berube stuff. What do the Blues need to change? All the stuff. Bennington. We're going to get to all of that. First, we'll start with Jordan Bennington. Now, obviously, his teammates came out and said, we trust this guy, despite him getting pulled after five goals. Um, you know, we trust him. He's great in bounce-back games, 6-2. to two. He's just calm in bounce-back games, like after a bad start or facing elimination. When the pressure's on him, he performs well. He's 6-2 and two in those kind of bounce-back, you know, after losses. 6-2 and two in these postseason after losses. So he's been great. You have uh, Duns returning for the Blues tonight. Um, just, it's going to be a big game. Uh, if the Bruins win, I think, you know, it's still going to go five, six games. I predicted the Blues would win games, uh, two and five. So if the Bruins win tonight, I expect the Blues to win one of these next two games. I do. I don't expect the Bruins to win this series four to one. I expect the game six. I expect the Blues to at least win one of the next two. Um, it's going to be tough. Uh, though their penalty kill has to be much better. You have those big defenders. You're more physical than the Bruins. You're bigger than the Bruins, and you're letting up your the other teams four for four on power plays. Their penalty kill was solid in the first two games, but other than that, last night was horrible. It was horrible. Um, and then you have the Craig Berube comments. Now, personally, um. When it comes to Craig Berube, I mean, after that loss, can we really say be saying these comments? I mean, your team just lost 7-2, to two, let up four power play goals on four penalties. Now, the Bruins had five penalties last night. 
or the game before. So they have more than you. And and listen, the thing about Craig Berube also is the man played in the NHL for 17 years and accounted for 3,149 penalty minutes. I couldn't get the amount of hits because hits the penalty minutes are really what 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 there is to look for, which meant he averaged 185.24 penalty minutes a year, a season. In some of these seasons, he didn't even play, you know, 80 games. I think he, he never played 80, 82 games once. He played it, I think he played the full season once or twice in the 17, once or twice, yeah. And overall, that means a game he averaged like around three minutes, penalty minutes a game. So he did get up in the box about one to two times every game on average in his career. Uh, and he's a left winger. Uh, 61 goals, 98 assists, uh, 1,054 games played. He had 159 points, negative, negative 81 on the plus minus. So that doesn't matter. But again, he was a physical player. He was a guy that got in the penalty box a lot. So that's something. He's He wasn't a very disciplined player back in the day. And after that loss, it kind of sounds like an excuse. Now, you've been the Bruins have been penalized 12 times, the Blues 17. Did the, have the Blues got ripped off a little? Sure. I think the officiating has been in the Bruins' favor. There's no doubt about it. But has it been a huge, huge problem? No. No, it hasn't been at all. And, I mean, I will say, you know, the one with uh, it was Charlie Maroon in the corner, I believe. I kind of forget. There's so many, so much going on. There's like nine penalties in the game. But with the four-on-four, they're both cross-checking a little between the ways. That was a weak call. But it went for both teams, at least. You know, that's that's one where now all of a sudden you're four on four. Just both teams got penalized for that. I mean, it's playoff hockey. They're going to play a little rough. You're going to let something like that go. But the, the Blues have to adjust. Both teams do. And the Blues especially have to adjust that these refs, you know, they're not letting the Blues play a very physical play style, which kind of hurts the Blues because they're more physical than the Bruins. But they're not allowing these cheap shots and these, you know, very physical play style. When that happened, they had to adjust and realize that and be like, all right, we got to back off a little from this physical play style a little. And you can still be physical, but we can't. We have to be a little more disciplined. And they have to notice that. And, I mean, you look at it, and obviously they were least penalized team in the first three rounds. Um, and he, does, he says he doesn't agree with the calls. But um, they had 17 penalties in the first three games. That's more than they had in the opening round. Matches their total from the conference semifinals to the second round. And is one shy of their total in the conference finals. Which went to six games. 18 penalties in six games last series. Which was their most penalties in the series. In this series, they have 17-3. and three. I mean, the Bruins are playing smarter. Because they went and adjusted and said, Alright, we have to play a little more discipline. We can't play as physical. The Blues just kept doing what they were doing. That's bad coaching by Craig Berube. So in a way, he's kind of putting himself out there, and people are realizing, oh, he doesn't agree with the calls. That's kind of on him. Have the calls been a little bad? Yes, they've been on the Bruins' favor. But Craig Berube says this after a 7-2 loss. Makes it kind of sound like an excuse. This is coming from the guy that averaged three penalty minutes a night. So he'd average a penalty or two a night. And this is something that he has to adjust to because – the same calls are kind of being made for the Bruins. The one with Char and Maroon in the corner, cross-checking each other a little, and the below the waist, like, please. So the Bruins adjusted. Again, the calls have been in the Bruins' favor a little, but the Bruins adjusted and have been playing smarter. Craig Berube has to adjust. Stop complaining and adjust, because that's on him. I know the calls have been a little absurd, but not anything really, really bad. He has to go out there and adjust. 
And with Biddington, listen, I don't know. I, I am a little nervous because he has been great in these bounce backs, but you're getting done back. I'd like to see see the Blues adjust tonight. I think that's a big thing for them. They have to they have to adjust. I'm sorry. They have to play. Their defense has to be much better. Bennington has to be better. Their defense has to be better. Their penalty kill has to be much better than it was last game, be what it was like game one and two. And they that defense really has to play much, much better. I think they've been really disappointing. And overall, they need to adjust and play a less I don't want to say less physical play style, but you know what I mean. They have to play a little more discipline. Now, when it comes for the Bruins, someone I'd like to see improve is Jake DeBrusque. DeBrusque has been horrible this whole real playoff, especially the series. All he's given you is penalty minutes. He's just getting in the penalty box. He's not scoring. He's not assisting. I never see him do anything. I've never, never seen him. His minutes are going down. All he's doing is getting giving you penalties. And now you have to go on the penalty kill because this guy who has not done anything. I'm sorry, I really like DeBrusque. He's great, especially at the end of the year. He really caught fire. And then when it came to playoff times, he's just been declining, declining. And all of a sudden, ever since kind of the Hurricane series, especially right now, he's running silent. And he's kind of slid on the radar. And finally, Bruins fans are like, oh, DeBrusque. Oh, he's done nothing. And now he's really starting to get torn apart today. So just a little preview there. Um, There's one more thing I wanted to say. What was it? Uh, God, I, I don't know if I can remember now. Uh, but, again, Bennington, he's got to play better. The Blues got to be better on the penalty kill. And, overall, Baruby's got to make his guys adjust. I'm sorry. They have to adjust. Um, again, I don't want to say less physical play style, but you know what I mean. It's it's tough to word, but it's, it's tough coming from that guy after that loss. Kind of sounds like an excuse. It makes you realize, oh, this guy racked up penalty minutes back in his day. And it's something he has to adjust to because the Bruins did that. Now, did the Bruins adjust great? No. They still had up five penalties. But still, they still had five penalties. But they still tried to adjust. And that's on Bruce Cassidy. It's great, great, uh, it's great coaching there. So, again, there's one more thing I wanted to, to get to. But it's just not, it's not coming to my head. Uh, oh, yeah, and the thing is, the one more thing I want to say now I remembered is if Bennington's going to play bad, here's the thing with the Blues, is if they're out, the goaltending has to get better on Bennington. This is one more thing I wanted to get to was before game three, he was average in the series at best. He was really just average. Then he was horrible yesterday. So far the series, he has not been very good. The Blues goaltending has to get better, especially because their offense can't put in more than three goals a night. So when your offense can't put in more than three goals a night and your goaltending is below average, you're going to win maybe one game in the series. And it might have already been just game two, and then that's it. Their offense needs to step up a little bit, and their defense, all around, they just have to get better. Barubi has to adjust. The offense has to put at least one more puck in that at night. You know, I'd like to see a four-goal game from them. I mean, I don't want to, but, you know, if I'm the Blues, let's get create a little more offense, especially from outside the top line. The defense has to tighten up and get a little better, and Bennington, he's kind of got to stand on his head a little. And just, he's got to play a little better. I will just say that. So, again, it's going to be, it's tough to win when your goaltender's playing below average and your offense just doesn't want to score more than three goals a night. But we'll see how the Blues respond. Again, not a whole lot to say about the Bruins after that game because we mostly touched up on most of it. But now that I've read the Bruby comments, that was mostly just the Blues segment there. But, again, 
a preview. So that's excited for the game tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time will be the puck drop in case you were wondering. Uh, we'll obviously get to that game tomorrow, assuming there's an episode tomorrow. So now we are going to get to the NBA Finals Game 2. The Warriors win last night, so let's get to that. All right, so last night, the Warriors, that big 109-104 to win over the Raptors. I predicted it that the series would be split 1-1, whether the... I predicted the Warriors win the first game, Raptors win the second game, but I said vice versa could definitely happen. That was just my prediction. I said they're going to split. And throughout that game, there were times where it looked like the Raptors might really win this game. And I was just like, the Warriors are just not going down 2-0. Even when Clay went out, even when they were down by like 8, I just said they're not going down 2 to nothing, and I was right. Again, I will give props to the Raptors because they've been much better than I thought. They have. That game was huge for the Raptors. They win that game. I might be, you know, taking back my prediction. I wouldn't, but I, you know, really start thinking about it. Because you know, you go up 2-0, you know, maybe I was taking this Raptors team a little too lightly, I will say, against the Warriors. I think the Warriors' six games will be solid series, but the Warriors will prevail. And I will say I took this team way too lightly. I'll admit it. Uh, but still, what I expected, the Raptors have to shoot much better. Overall, in general, only 37% from the field, 29% from three. They have to shoot the ball better. They have to also move it better. 17 assists is eh. 17 assists isn't great. The Warriors had 34. Uh, especially that comes a lot of it for Kyle Lowry. Lowry had two assists last night, only 13 points. Defensively, he was eh. Uh, offensively, wasn't facilitating, which is what he really needs to do. And only 13 points. He didn't have a great game last night. Uh, Kawhi only had three assists. You didn't move the ball well at all. Siakam had the game high for you, five assists. You didn't move the ball. It was too much hero ball last night. Too much kind of difficult shot hero ball. And that's also why your field goal percentage was so low. You didn't pass the ball very well, and you were having to take tough shots. And I think overall the Warriors deserve to win that game. Oh, yeah, I, I seem like a Warriors fan, but I'm not. Trust me, I'm not. I kind of rather see the Raptors win the series. Uh, I might rather see the Warriors just because it's my prediction, but I'm rooting for the Raptors. And I know it seems like I'm a Warriors fan, but I trust me, I'm not. I'm a Celtics fan, but in the series, I'm rooting for the Raptors. But for my prediction sake, the Warriors. But Draymond had a very good game last night. As I said, wait, last episode, the episode before that, I said, expect. Between Pascal Siakam and Draymond Green, expect the better the player to change. Because first game, Draymond put 10-10-10, but Pascal Siakam was probably the best player in that whole game. He played better. But Siakam last night was average at best, and Draymond might have been the best player in the game. 10 rebounds, 9 assists, 17 points. If he keeps putting up this stat line of almost a triple-double, moves the ball really well, is grabbing rebounds, playing solid defense, and scoring in the double digits, you don't need Draymond to score in the double digits. All you need him to do is... Move the ball well for you. Be that piece in the center of the court or whatever to make that extra pass. Move the ball well. Be a defensive stud and really slow down Kawhi or Pascal Siakam and help you on the boards. You just need him to pitch in with a few points. You don't really, really need him to score a lot. But when he scored 17, that just helps even more along with what he's doing. You don't need him to be a scorer. You just need him to be a defensive threat, rebounder, passer. That's all you need. And he's scoring 17 points, too. That's just kind of that luxury side bonus with Draymond Green. Uh, Iguodala had that huge three at the end of the game to seal the game. Um, eight points for him. Eight rebounds, six assists. He had a solid game for sure. Played some solid defense as well. Uh, Iguodala 
I don't expect too much more from him, uh, honestly, in this series. But he's if he plays that type of impact, you know, the Warriors should be happy along with that veteran role. Cousins finally, you know, pitched in a little, twenty-eight minutes, eleven points, ten rebounds, six assists. So he did something. He's starting to come back and form into, you know, somewhat of DeMarcus Cousins again, because that first game, he was just not him. He didn't have the minutes either. Uh, Curry had a solid night, 23 points, four assists, three rebounds, hit some shots there. It was a little quiet. He had a solid game, but Klay Thompson really, 25 points, five assists, five rebounds. He's been great. Klay Thompson's making me really start to think, could he really carry a team to maybe the second round? You know, be the leader of a team and make get them to the second round. At first I said no, and I still my answer is still no. He can't lead a team, but it's making me start to think maybe he can do an actually all right job because this guy can just really shoot the lights out. And he's a great defender as well, so he can be you know, a good defender. But again, solid ball handler, but again, shooting. You know, he's a good shooter, but he's you know drives every once in a while. I, I just see him more as a very elite 3 and D wing. That can, you know, dribble a little and drive to the hoop every once in a while. But again, just an elite 3 and D wing. Again, you can say Paul George is elite 3 and D wing, but I think he does a little more than 3 and D. Clay Thompson just really doesn't. So that's my issue there, but still great player. Quinn Cook stepped up with three big threes. Uh, and then you had Bogut, three alley oops, six points and a board. So I don't think you can really be complaining too much if you're the Warriors. They beat you on the boards for sure. I think they have to be a little bit better rebounding, the Warriors. But other than that, you move the ball really well. Um, forced 15 turnovers to the Raptors, so that was kind of even. They might could have been a little better in the paint. Again, the rebounds, points in the paint. But they shot pretty efficiently from three and from the field. They played very good defense. We get into the free throw line, not as much as the Raptors, but pretty close. They moved the ball really well. But for the Raptors, I will give props to Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse almost won the game by switching up the defense to a box and one. He switched up the defense to a box and one last night late in the game, and it almost got them back in it. That was elite coaching last night on display. Switching to that box and one, and it really it, it hurt the Warriors because the Warriors really didn't do a great job of adjusting to that type of defense, the box and one defense. So it was great coaching by Nick Nurse. That's something that, you know, we need to point out and give props to the young coach because he's been one of the best coaches this year. It's a top five. Uh, the finalists for coach of the year right now are Mike Budenholzer, Mike Malone, who are kind of the two favorites, and Doc Rivers, who I definitely did think deserve that third spot. But it was close. You guys like Nick Nurse and one other guy I'm forgetting. It'll come back to me in a minute, but hopefully – but, um, no, he, let me tell you, Nick Nurse has done a good job with this team, way better than Dwayne Casey uh, did, which is arguable. Dwayne Casey, you know, I say Dwayne Casey maybe did a little better in the regular season, maybe. But Nick Nurse overall, he's done a great job. Nick Dwayne Casey just can't do it in the playoffs. Nick Nurse switching, making that bold move to switch up the defense because it wasn't working. It almost got them back in that game. So that's a big shout-out to a Nick Nurse there for making that type of adjustment. So, again, great uh, great job for the Raptors switching that. But the Warriors honestly prevailed. I'm not shocked. It would have been a huge game for the Raptors to win, go up 2-0 before KD comes back because KD could be back for game three. And the more I think about it, he'll probably come back for like game four, but he could be back very soon. And game three just seems like a game for the Warriors, like first game on the road in Golden State. I don't know, for the Raptors on the road, I mean. But 
you know, call in with your game three predictions if you want for your whole series predictions for the rest of the series. Sorry, predictions for the rest of the series. Anything you want. Again, Anchor Moblot, please call in after the Brothers Sports Talk. I've seen the listens go up lately, and I really appreciate that, guys. Uh, and if you're at it, some of you new listeners, again, or old ones, Anchor Moblot. I understand some of you can't get it, like myself, but... If you can, it's a really useful tool. You can just call in and episode suggestions or anything. Any predictions you have, anything you want to discuss, anything you disagree with, anything. What are your Game 3 predictions? What are your series predictions? So next, we are going to get to the Red Sox uh, big one. But I have a little bit of a complaint uh, with uh, Alex Cora, which we're going to get to as long as as well as the Red Sox win. David Price first win at Yankee Stadium as a Boston Red Sox, so now we're going to get to that. All right, so last night you had the Red Sox winning 8-5 to in the Bronx to take one game in that Yankees series. David Price gets his first win as a Red Sox in Yankee Stadium. It's a pretty big thing because, you know, the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry. So the Red Sox now at 30-29, and Yankees at 38-20. and So in last night's game, kind of uh, some takeaways, if you will. Well-pitched game by Price. Uh, two earned runs. He obviously had that tough fourth inning where he let up those two runs, the home run to Voight. Cora should have had a mound visit, but again, Cora, I don't know if he's just too lazy or what, but he just doesn't get out there in the, for the mound visits, but you won. The bullpen almost blew it for you there, though. Henry came in in the seventh to, to get the job done. I thought he probably should have stayed in and said he took Barnes, who boxed in a run, you know, let up a hit, two walks, three earned runs. He struggled. Then Workman came in and was all right. Uh, with the one hit, but Barnes definitely struggled. Uh, that was a night where Alex Cora said, we want Barnes to be the eighth inning guy like he used to be. You've relied on Barnes way too much to close out these games in the ninth inning, and I just don't really like it. So Cora said, let's try him in the eighth inning, and Brandon Workman in the ninth, and he struggled. He did. Uh, but for the Yankees, I really just feel bad. Clint Fraser, that right fielder, was horrible. The guy made the error on Nunez, which should have just been a single, ended up being a triple. Uh, he he made another play where he dived out for the ball, missed it. It ended up being, I think, I don't know if that one accounted for an error. It didn't. And he dived out for it, missed the ball. And then he, there's one pop-up, I think it was the eighth inning, and he ran way ahead of it, and it went right behind him, and that cost them a bag. So that guy was just bad. Not to mention, he did have two hits on four at-bats, but, I mean, still, that was just a bad game for him. Sabathia was all right, I thought. Uh, He had some nasty pitches. Eight strikeouts. I think they were all swinging. Maybe not the last one, but he he had some good pitches in there uh, for strike threes. Uh, He had some good two-strike pitches. Um, And then Luis Sessa. That guy, I'll I'll admit, I don't know a ton about him, but he struggled. He struggled a lot. But Brock Holt gets his first hit. In his first, I, I know it was his first hit last night, and he ended up scoring on it as well. So that was uh, pretty big. Nice to see Brock Holt, you know, the one-time All-Star a long time ago. Um, yeah, back in 2015, remember that? Yeah, but this season he's only played 11 games, 34 at-bats. That was his, says his seventh hit, which was not what I heard on the announcement last night. I heard it was his first hit, but which I was a little suspicious of when it hurt. When I heard that, I will admit. So maybe it wasn't his first hit. Maybe I was just I hearing something wrong because I swear he did have hits earlier in the year. But 
Yeah, uh, Betts let, let off last night. I was talking about this. We have not been able to find a consistent leadoff hitter. It switched between Betts, Benintendi, we even seen a little Chavis. And Betts, 0 for 5 last night. We can't find a leadoff hitter, and whoever it is doesn't do well there. If Benintendi goes there, he gets maybe one hit. Same with Betts. Whoever leads off just does not do well. I don't know what it is. You need a leadoff hitter. I'm sorry. You need a leadoff hitter. Now, also, with Cora, I think I was ripping on him the other day for, you know, either waiting too long with these pitchers or, or you know, keeping them in too long or pulling them too quickly. He just doesn't do a good job with that, but... Basing things off way too much on the analytics as well. I'm a big analytics guy as well, I won't even lie. But the other night, he, just on Saturday, he, Sandy Leone's up. Leone is 3 for 3 in the game, keep in mind. Keep in mind, you have 11 hits. He's 3 for 3. Might have been your best hitter. Two rubies that game. And you pinch hit him for Christian Vasquez because of the analytics. You want to know what Christian Vasquez does? Grounds out into the double play. With runners in scoring position, two runs in sc- runners in scoring position, you lost three to five. So Sandy Leon, that was one that we based off the Linux. Leon was three for three. We brought in Vasquez because of the analytics. So I just wanted to point that out right there. Uh, you know, he's just basing things a little too much off the analytics. I'm a big analytics guy as well, but you can't do that. So yeah, uh, that's today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Calling on the Anchor Mobile app, typing after the sports talk, sending a voice message. That's all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed, and I'll see you next time.